Hey, welcome to Dream Aloud with Kendra. It's a podcast for black women who want to live limitless lives. Be inspired by others who have dared to step outside of their comfort zone to live their hopes and dreams and passions. Now let's get started because life is way too short not to live the way that you want. Hello, everyone. It's another Tuesday, and I'm here with another guest whom I met in my mastermind class. We were in a breakout session, and I was telling her about how I was doing this podcast live stream about phenomenal women who pivot, who make the life altering changes to live the life that they want so that they can live, work, and play their way. And after we had a conversation about the things that she did, I decided that I absolutely need this lady on my interview session for Second Acts. And I just want to tell you a little bit about her and why I wanted to bring her on. She interrupted her college career to get married and have children, and then return to get a bachelor's degree, a graduate degree, and got her PhD the same time that her youngest child graduated from high school. And so now for her, I won't say it's her second act, she said she's done many acts, so it's maybe her fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth, seventh, I don't know, act, She is now a social entrepreneur and you left academia and this is what you're doing now. And I'd like to introduce to all of you, Miss Georgerie Bledsoe. She is a PhD, so I should say Dr. Bledsoe. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Kendra. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I am so glad that you could make it here. So tell me, a little bit about why, because I'm in academia, everybody that knows me know that I've been in academia for almost 30 years, and it's a good place to work. You have weekends off and holidays. What what made you, or what was the catalyst for you to make that pivot and leave academia and start a business of your own? Well, now that's a, that's a good question, and I think to explain why I left academe, I have to explain how I got to academe. Let's start with that. (laughs) Um, So as you mentioned, I had a very circuitous route to academe because I got married early and had all these kids. And so once once you have four kids in the space of five years, wow and become a stay-at-home mom, it's really hard to imagine sort of getting back in the groove of academe. And so I I really decided to finish my degrees when I had been teaching music at a private international prep school. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd I'd been teaching the after school program and I had been accompanying all the performances. And then they said, well, we need a music teacher for the school day because our our music teacher just left. And I'd been doing much work with the kids. 
but you don't have a degree. You don't have a bachelor's degree. So at that point, I was like, okay, let me go back and get my degree. And I kept on going. So by the time I get my PhD and I'm ready to potentially go into academe, I've had decades of experience teaching youth. And that's, that's really my heart. And so I'm trying to really figure out, do I want to do academe? And then the Mellon postdoc opens up at Brandeis. And I've got colleagues all over the country saying, Georgery, your name is written all over this postdoc, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I throw my name in the hat and I get it. Mm -hmm. um, and then after the two-year postdoc, I taught at Tufts for a year. And this is when I decide to go into central, social entrepreneurship is because after years in academia, I also taught at um, Duke in that academic period. I realized mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to be a school teacher like I did before. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a professor like I've been for a few years. I need to find a way to combine these two. I want my scholarship to count toward real children in real ways. And so that's why I left academe. I think- For the real know, children, not the theory. Yes. <laughs> theory is good and someone has to do it, but that's nice that you you wanted to make sure that you made a difference in the community. And is your program global? So um, when I first left academe, I started a nonprofit organization. I was in okay. Boston, it was called Boston Urban Music Project. And it was, it was wonderful. We ended up doing programs about eight different schools. Um, and then that whole recession thing hit around 2008, 2009. So I ended up moving back to North Carolina. I got my PhD at Duke. I ended up moving back to North Carolina and bringing the nonprofit with me. And so, you know, it's the nonprofit that in a lot of ways catalyzed the work that I do now. So the work that I do now, it's called Bow Bow Tree, and it's not a nonprofit, it's a for-profit, it's a consulting company. And the goal is to really impact educators, to reach okay. educators. So I'm not doing work in the classroom with kids anymore. But you're teaching other people to do the work in the classroom with your kids, correct? Exactly. And so basically you're doing a lot of what I do is the each one teach one. I love that it's community. So you're teaching other educators in music how to pass that on. And it's Afrocentric music, correct? Afrocentric? Yes, Afrocentric. <laughs> I mean, so it was um, in the 60s that the term Afrocentric came to mm -hmm. be. Um, it was Malefi Asante that wrote the book. Um, and so lately, the term Afrocentric is gaining a lot of currency for two reasons. 
One, because etymologically, what is Afro? It's Africa. And so we say Afrocentric. But even more important than that is the term Afrocentric tries to contextualize the work that Asante did in a much longer history of putting African descended people at the center of work about them. So that's why we mm. use the term. <laughs> so I will use Afrocentric moving forward because I like that. Um, is your curriculum just for schools? So let me talk a little bit about what it is that that this is about um because when you say curriculum there's two ways that i look at that term curriculum okay okay so the idea here is that we've been um as music educators in the classroom we've undergone um all these shifts over the years right we've mm -hmm. looked at we've had traditional american music education which is very eurocentric and a lot of people have been trying to do something about that. So the first effort was multicultural. And we brought, you know, music from China and all these different places to give kids a little slice of mm -hmm. you know, what was out there. And it was really about um, cultural, intercultural uh, competency. Mm -hmm. So then it became clear that we've got a lot of black and brown kids increasingly in our classroom, but their cultures aren't really being represented. And we know from research that we need to mirror for children so that they understand that their culture has value and they have value. And so the latest iteration of this is called cultural responsiveness or cultural relevance, where the teacher is really looking at all these different kids and all their different backgrounds. And so I'm like, hold on a minute here. <laughs> In a lot of ways, Eurocentric music remains at the center. And then for specific groups of kids, there's more emphasis put mm -hmm. on their cultural background. But, you know, my question is, well, can, should we really leave Eurocentric culture at the center? I mean, we, we are Americans, right? We're, right. we're not European, we're Americans. So, yeah. so if we want to respond to the cultural milieu of every child, then we really want to help them to understand what it is to be Americans. And so a huge part of what American music and American expressive culture is founded on is Afrocentric music. So I'm a saying huge part. a huge part from the beginning yes, of American music, black music was at the core of that. So I'm saying, why don't we begin to counterweight this Eurocentric paradigm with an Afrocentric paradigm so that all kids can understand 
the, the importance of black music to this culture. So when we say Afrocentric, we're not talking about something just for kids of African descent. We're talking about something that's important for every child in this country to understand and know. And so the way you reach kids is through teachers. Yeah. Um, you know, right now, the teacher training programs are Eurocentric. And so we have to really begin to, you know, to me, this is exciting work mm -hmm. because it takes time, it takes research, it takes conversations um, to begin to really explore the depth of this Afrocentric music education paradigm. And representation is just so important that we, we need to go back to say, this is Afrocentric music. I had a, I, I shouldn't say this, but I had a boss. I was in his office and I should talk about this later, but he was playing rock music and I was singing the song. And he says, oh, I have some music for you. And he changed his station to R&B. And I looked at him and I said, really? And he says, yes, you know, my kids, they're into black music too. I said, well, the music you were just playing was black music as well. The, the rock was black music as well. And he looked at me strange and I was like, yes, that is Afro. I said Afro, but I should now say Afrocentric. He's no longer my boss and I'm glad, but you know, just to, to actually do that lets me know that, that what you're doing is very important because this was a 50 something year old man who had no clue that the basis for all that was Afrocentric. Absolutely. took a Zumba class, the teacher is saying, where do you think this came from? Where did you think that came from? And they're making all kind of guesses and no one ever said Africa for the drums. Those are African drums. And we, we need the world to know that, especially in the classroom, representation is very important. If we don't have it, then it's overlooked. So I'm glad that you're doing that work. I, I do want to ask you a question about sacred songs. I was looking at your website and the sacred songs. And you have a, you have a course on 10 Black sacred songs that all Americans should know. Absolutely. So I'll let people go to the website and, and look at the, that article as well as the blog and, and order if they want to. But can you tell me a little about sacred songs and, and why there are certain that everyone should know? Absolutely. So I came up with, so this sort of started when I was teaching at Brandeis. Um, okay. My dissertation was written on the gospel music center in metropolitan St. Louis area, because that's where I come from. And okay. so, so when I was teaching at Brandeis, it was, it, it started to become really clear to me that everyone was calling the whole of black sacred music, gospel music. If it was spirituals, they called it gospel music. If it was hymns, they called it gospel music. And, and, and for me, there are just so many kinds mm -hmm. of black sacred music. And so 
I wanted to find a way to help people to see all this variety and all the different meanings that the different kinds of Black sacred music have within Black culture and within the larger American culture. And so that's how that idea came up. So my goal here was to get representative pieces as a, as a window onto all these worlds. Now, the, the title is a little provocative, 10 Black Sacred Songs Every American Should Know. <laughs> but the idea is that here are 10 styles, 10 different types of Black Sacred Songs that everybody should realize exist and become aware of. And I, I'm betting that we probably already used them or we had no clue that they were using them. When, when I hear, I love country music because to me, it's gospel music. It kind of has that gospel flavor and it tells a story. So I can always kind of, I always look for that, that underlining tone. And so I see it in bluegrass. I, of course we hear it in rock. We hear it in most of the music. It has an Afrocentric root to it. And so it's glad I'm glad that someone is actually putting it out there and we can we can get to it and look at it and learn and again remember that rep representation does matter and representation should be out there and I'm a big proponent of us telling our own stories mm -hmm. and so the African proverb says, until the lion learns to write, the hunter will always tell the story. So I'm glad that you're telling the story of music for everyone, because the truth is the truth, is the truth, no matter where, you know, what you want to believe, it's still the truth. So just to have this evidence and the ability to actually do some study ourselves and get to know all of the wonderful things that we're doing. And like you said, there's 10 styles of sacred songs. So I'm looking forward to, to getting into that and figuring out what different styles I know about and maybe some things that I don't know. So I'm, I, that's gonna be my, my download, the 10 Black Sacred Songs. Now I know Kwanzaa is coming up as well as Christmas. And do you recommend anything? for someone who, who may be celebrating one or the other or maybe both as a gift? I actually am going to be putting something up for Kwanzaa oh. in, in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, I What I have available right now that um, I can go ahead and mention is called a sneak peek. Okay. Okay. So the sneak peek is a view into our Afrocentric music education paradigm. Just a little taste. It's also a peek into our Summer Institute, which is coming up in the summer of 2021 in July. And okay. so if you want to be a part of the sneak peek, it's free. It's this Saturday at uh, December 19th at 10 a.m. And all you have to do is go to our website, click on resources, and the sneak peek will be right there at the top. 
Okay. Okay. So, so what's next for you? Oh, that is a, oh, that is such an exciting question right now. Um, so, so what we primarily do is professional development workshops with schools, school districts, and teachers across the country. Um, I mentioned the Summer Institute. So um, I actually have a hybrid business. I have a for-profit side, I have a nonprofit side. So the Summer Institute is happening on the nonprofit side. And then we're also putting together a teacher's guide okay. that's called Teaching Trimanisha. And this is where the two come together. So teachers from all over the country will be able to attend the Summer Institute because it's fully virtual. Um, and we'll have the registration up this weekend. <laughs> um, and they'll also be able to get the first of its kind teacher's guide, a teacher's guide that's grounded in our Afrocentric music education framework and paradigm. Um, they'll be able to get it at the Summer Institute. They might be able to get parts of it before or some of it before. We're working on that. We haven't, we haven't set our, we haven't set our release date for it. Yeah. We're, we're getting close. So those are some of the things um, that we're really excited about in 2021. Okay, great. So I know what happens is people have, they make a plan and they follow the plan. What kind of advice, well, do you advise? I know you've made many pivots. And of course, this, this series is about second acts or more about people making pivots to seize the life that they want. Do you recommend pivots for other people? And how has a pivot been for you? You know, I think pivoting is a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. And so just like entrepreneurship or just like a nine to five job, you really have to be in touch with who you are. Some people belong in a nine to five job. That is 100% in, in line with who they are. Okay, that's never been me. <laughs> um, even though pivoting is, has been scary, each time I've done it, I have known that I'm being called to the next thing. And I'm comfortable with that in my life. So you just have to know who you are. Take the time to know yourself um, and do what you need to do. Does that Absolutely. answer your question? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> it does. because. And there are certain people that are, I think folks are afraid to pivot and they know they're being called, but mm -hmm. they want to make sure that they stay in their comfort zone. So mm -hmm. this series is really about, if you know that you're being called, if you know that there's more, or you feel that there's more, then you need to step outside of your comfort zone and do what you need to do to make the changes to live the way that you know that you should be living. And so this is encouragement for all of those ladies and men who are watching that may be thinking about a pivot. I, I don't say that you just run out and do it. You should have a plan. But 
I just wanted to make sure that they know that you know you did a few things and I'm sure there were people that said, what are you doing? You're leaving school, but you decided to follow your heart and know yourself and, and do things in the order that was right for you. And so that's what I wanna see people do is just break out the box. There my, is no box for you. My sense is that if you, if you feel this call to pivot, if you have something that has a hold on you that you really wanna do, it's because you have a vision. Mm -hmm. If you have a vision, you are the only one in the world who can make that vision a reality. Right. You are the right. only one who fully understands what it is you're being called to do. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing you can do for yourself, if you have that vision, is to surround yourself with people who believe in you and who understand your vision and understand the value of what you're trying to do. You surround yourself with the right people yeah. and fear dissipates. It just starts to, to go away. I agree. And I think when you actually do it, when you get to the other side, you're like, what took me so long? Yes. I should have, what, what was I waiting for? What did I think was going to happen? And so I'm glad to have a group of women to interview who are examples of making changes that have changed their lives. And so we're coming to a close, but I, I do always ask my guests, what, are their, what is your favorite quote? Can I give two, please? Okay, sure. <laughs> okay, my, so my favorite one is one that I was just reminded of today. It's okay. from 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and I'm gonna read it. Okay. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you mm -hmm. so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Okay, that's number one. My second one is from Common in the song Glory. The biggest weapon is to stay peaceful we sing, our music is the cuts that we bleed through. Awesome. Thank you for two quotes. They are awesome. Love them. And my last thing for you is because I'm Afrocentric, I said it correctly, <laughs> and I do believe the representation counts. I always ask every guest, on whose shoulders do you stand? Again, I have to mention two people. <laughs> so the first is my piano teacher growing up. She had such an impact on my life. When I was taking lessons, I didn't realize that she was a gospel pioneer who had been the organist for the National Baptist Convention for almost wow. 40 years who had accompanied people like Mahalia Jackson and Thomas Dorsey. It wasn't until I started doing graduate studies and she passed away and I cataloged her gospel sheet music collection, which was the biggest that I'd ever seen 
in my research that I realized that I truly was standing on the shoulders of a giant. The second person whose shoulders I stand on is Gloria Ladson Billings. She's a current scholar who's done work on culturally responsive education, education in general. And I feel that her work is foundational to taking it and finding how music education fits into this piece of cultural responsiveness and taking it to another level with music. That's great. So my prayer is that we honor Dr. Billings while we can, because I think about what you just said about your, your piano teacher. We, again, our culture is such that we don't share the great things that we do. It's always let someone else praise you, you don't praise yourself. And so we go through life not knowing the heroes that are right in our circle, the heroes that are right next to you. And she taught you and it was great and you were able to do her catalog. But did you have questions that you would not have answered because she passed? your piano teacher, that had you known what you know now, you would have asked other questions. And I, that is the book that I wrote. I put that in there as well. Some of the heroes that I, I saw every day and had no idea until I read their obituary of, they were some of the first to do some things. And I had no clue, it was just uncle so-and-so or uh, this, instead of someone saying, do you know what greatness you stand in, 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 the, in the presence of? And I am, I am one who was taught to revere my elders and my father always made sure that I knew those elders and I got stories, but I, could, I missed out on so much more, not knowing just some of the things that they'd done before I was born. So I was reading about Martin Luther King, which I should, and the Tuskegee Airmen, which I should. And I should say this too, we've been, I've been in the presence of several Tuskegee Airmen who have never said anything to me. And I knew when I read their obituary. Mm. <sighs> and they don't think that they should say that, but somebody should say something. So moving forward, my prayer is that we actually give people their flowers, but not only just for that, because we are taught, you don't need the praise, let someone else praise you. And, and that's good in a certain circumstances, but it's, it's really not good on the job. I had to learn that, you know, you're, wait, you're doing a good job, but you need to put that on your resume. You need to put that on your performance evaluation, but we're not taught that. But it's also a way that your children will know in whose presence they stand and what's expected of them. We're looking here and there, and she was right there on the piano stool next to you. That's right. But I'm glad that you were able to do a catalog and to bring that information into what you're doing now, the calling that you have. And 
I am excited to see what's going to happen with your sneak peek. I am definitely going to download the 10 sacred songs because I am a study. I'm one who studies history, especially how my people, my family, because I'm the family griot and historian now, and I want to see how they incorporated all that they had to get to a space where I could actually make any pivots that I want to make and do what I want to do. And that's why I ask, whose shoulders do you stand on? How much farther can you go because of the boost that they gave you? And I thank you so much for this interview. I'm so glad to have met you. I am glad that you are bringing the music to the forefront, Afrocentric music to the forefront. And is there anything else? How can we find you? Well, thank you so much for having me today, Kendra. I just wanted to say that um, we should give people their flowers while they're living. And I feel that the work you do with your podcast is such a community gift because you're doing just that, raising up the voices um, so that our community, our whole community can hear them. People can find me on Instagram at Georgiary Bledsoe. I'm on Facebook at Georgiary.bledsoe. I'm on LinkedIn at Georgiary-bledsoe. <laughs> and of course, there's my website, www.baobaotreelearning.com. I hope to see you all at the sneak peek this Saturday. I thank you for your time. I appreciate all that you do, and I wish you continued blessings. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dream Aloud with Kendra. If you like the show, leave a review and tell a friend. I also invite you to join our Dream Aloud Facebook group, where we encourage and challenge our members to step outside of their comfort zone and live limitless lives. I guarantee you, you will experience true fulfillment when you live, work, and play your way.